I'm Joel Ross, and you're listening to Jazz's Backstage Pass. And I'm your host, Brian Zimmerman. My guest today is vibraphonist Joel Ross. Now, if that name rings a bell, and sorry for that bad pun, it's because Ross is one of the hottest musicians in jazz at the moment. Just 23 years old, he recently dropped his debut album as a leader. It's called Kingmaker, and it was released on the legendary Blue Note Records label, which has been home to some of the greatest vibraphones in jazz history. We're talking Milt Jackson, Bobby Hutcherson, and Ross's own mentor, Stefan Harris. Ross is originally from Chicago, where he grew up playing with his twin brother, who's a drummer, and with stars of the local scene like Marquise Hill and Micaiah McRaven. He attended the prestigious Dave Brubeck Institute in California and would later appear on albums by other up-and-coming Blue Note stars like pianist James Francis. Ross's new album features his Good Vibes Ensemble and is absolutely brimming with energy, which he draws from various musical sources that inspire him like jazz, R&B, hip-hop, gospel, and a whole lot more. The album was released on May 3rd and is available for purchase and streaming. Recently, Ross released a video for the track Yana, It was directed by Davian Thompson and features Ross himself in what I can only describe as an intensely passionate, silent love dance-off. You just have to see it for yourself. Check it out on our website. And in the meantime, enjoy this interview with Joel Ross, who spoke to us by phone from his apartment in Brooklyn. Um... Yeah, cool, man. Hey, so hey, I, I uh, thanks once again for doing this. Um, I love, I love the vibraphone. I'm a huge fan of you and your instrument. And when I, whenever I talk with a vibraphonist, you know, one of my first questions is always, just how do you start playing this thing? Um, with you, I understand there was uh, some kind of story having to do with you being the younger twin and like. <laughs> Is this true? And your brother wanted to play an instrument and you kind of. Well, yeah, well, we both started on the drum set okay. when we were um, two, two, about two or three years old. Wow. So we had been playing drums all that time at church with our family. And uh, we joined our elementary school's concert band uh, in fifth grade. We were about 10. And that's where he made me play like the mallets and stuff because he didn't want to do that (laughs) so that's where i had to play the xylophone and and the orchestra bells and such and he he played more snare drum parts bass drum timpani and things like that okay um and the same year we auditioned for chicago's all city concert band and got in on the respective instruments and then we also auditioned for the all city jazz band and we both auditioned on drums but he was the better drummer so the percussion instructor suggested I play vibes and I didn't want to do that, <laughs> but my dad and, and the instructor strongly insisted that I do. And I've been doing it ever since sometimes begrudgingly, but it's a love hate relationship. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, Hey, that worked out. How much, you know, quote unquote, younger are you than your twin brother? Oh, just two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and he held, he holds that open. I'm sure. Right. Does he still play? 
Oh yeah, he still plays. Right, cool, man. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about your family growing up. You know, you mentioned you play in the church, and I can absolutely mm-hmm. hear some of those gospel influences in your mm-hmm. playing. But like, what was playing around the house? Um, you know, what was spinning on the record player, that kind of stuff. A lot of, a lot of, besides besides gospel, a lot of uh, like soul, R and B. I guess everybody that my parents, everybody born in the the sixties. We're, we're listening to in their youth that's, that was their jam and so that's what we were hearing um yeah, we didn't we didn't really start we didn't get into jazz until we started listening to until we joined that all city jazz band uh, oh wow so that was kind of like the impetus for taking it seriously mm-hmm. okay. yeah we were just listening straight soul r&b gospel funk well hey i mean that's a great foundation though mm-hmm. you know and then you layer jazz on top of that. And, you know, again, I think you can really hear that in your sound, which it's like a perfect blend. You know, we're, we talk a lot about hybridity these days of like soul mm-hmm. and R&B and hip hop and jazz. Yep. Um, but a lot of times like those elements remain, uh, you know, very distinct and, and very like separated in the mix. Yours mm-hmm. is like you made a really, really nice blend of all these of all these styles, man. And yeah, let's go ahead and listen for some of those influences in the track Ill Relations from Joel Ross's album Kingmaker. you mentioned taking jazz more seriously you know schlepping your vibes around chicago to all those kids <laughs> <laughs> which i assume was just like in the back of someone's minivan like i don't know oh, what yeah. vibes players do it man yeah well we had a little car a little one one of the he had a what a scion uh, a little box car we could fit the vibes and there the drums in there at the same time <laughs> nice man as you're doing this as you're coming up who are you listening to to really kind of like get a sound for the instrument, get a style for the instrument. Like, who are some of your big influences? First vibraphonist and probably biggest influence was Milt Jackson. Right on, yeah. Um, we the the instructor who was teaching us, who we were taking percussion lessons with, and that was he gave me bags first, but also I, at the same time it was bags, but it was also Miles and and Monk and and Train. And so those those were like that's what we were listening to consistently for years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it was more it was more than just finding a vibraphonist, but right. it was like uh, taking in everything that these artists were doing and how they were leading their bands, the type of music they were playing, the the way they were playing that music, all of that went into it. Right. More than more than I guess just focusing on the vibraphone itself. Yeah, which is, you know, I heard a story of like this one student who, you know, wanted to play like John Coltrane. So all he did was listen to John Coltrane. All he did was listen to John Coltrane. Um, you know, and he was starting to sound like John Coltrane. And then, you know, he went to his teacher and he was like, uh, you know, I really just want to sound like John Coltrane. 
you know, so I only listen to John Coltrane and the teacher like dropped this on him. It was like, well, maybe you should listen to the people that John Coltrane listened to, mm-hmm. you know, cause there's like, if there's one person John Coltrane wasn't listening to, it was John Coltrane. So <laughs> you're absolutely right, man. You can hear some of the, a lot of those influence that you just mentioned, especially mm-hmm. Miles and Monk. Um, so it's no surprise that, you know, you were heavy into them. Um, I know though, Bobby Hutcherson was, had like a personal influence on you Mm -hmm. as well. Um, like gave you some advice that you stuck with. It's in, um, the press material for this album just to like write every day. Correct. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, I was at school in California and, but the teacher who was out there teaching us as pianist, Joe Gilman, he was playing with Bobby towards the end of his career when they were, they did some East Coast things, but mainly when they were playing West Coast. And so one day, Joe just drove me down to, to Bobby's house, and I got to spend a day with him. Wow. Mainly just, he was just reminiscing and everything, but he listened to me play, and he gave me, he told me to keep keep playing and keep writing. Wow, man. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he's obviously a legend, and, you know, a, specifically a legend on Blue Note Records. Mm-hmm. Um as was Mill Jackson, as was, uh, you know, Stefan Harris. And Stefan, I, I understand, also had a major impact on your technique, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and and that, So talk to me a little bit about that. He explained, because he's got a method, and he was telling me a little bit about this, that's very, like, uh, visual, right, or something you try to match chords. It's or, more more emotional. Emotional, um, right, okay. Um, it was... I basically I was just describing it to somebody yesterday. It's like, and I, I'm no authority on the subject. <laughs> I was still learning as much as <laughs> as much as when he was teaching it. But it was, it's like to me, it's like a, attaching emotion to harmony, so that wow. any time that I would hear that harmony, I can identify it because I it emokes it, it you know it makes you it, it evokes um, an emotional response. Wow. Wow, man. Did you, did you utilize any of this technique? I imagine you did for, for the new album, Kingmaker. It's, it's so it's like, so there was that there was, cause it's let it's less like a technique and just more like now it's just, it's a, it's a skill we developed. Cool. So it's the ear training skill so that when we're performing, when we're playing, we can hear, we can hear something and naturally respond to it because we know because we know what it is wow. um so in that regard we I, for a lot of that music i wrote it when i was still studying with him um in california so a lot of it was employing what we were learning with the theory he was teaching um in, in conjunction with the ear training so a lot of the music is focusing on moving between harmony and such in a, in a smooth way kind of connected to what we were learning so in that regard yeah very nice, man. Very nice. It. Uh, I remember in high school, I'm a trumpet player, and in high school, I spent like a hundred bucks of my hard-earned money on a, a CD. It was like a series of CDs, 13 CDs or something like that. A guy was telling you that you could learn perfect pitch. <laughs> and so he totally duped me. Like I dropped a hundred bucks and the whole thing was like, he had to listen to the tones and try to associate each tone with a color. Mm-hmm. I tried really hard, man. I really did, but obviously, yeah. you know, perfect pitch is not something you can learn. And, and yeah. Well, I, well, I'm, I'm wondering. <laughs> oh, well, um, hey, man, if you're onto something, please let me know because I've heard well, both actually. 
Uh, I well, I was just recording with this uh, saxophonist, Yuri Pukul, okay. and uh, um, we were Charles Altura was is recording on the two guitarists, and he was telling me that you know I knew he had perfect pitch, but I you know I assumed that all people were born with it. Right. But he was telling me just he developed perfect pitch just from the sheer amount of transcribing he was doing, wow. and so I think if. I'm sure it's like the 10,000 hours thing. If right. the amount, the road amount of times you're developing something. So, and I, I guess I feel that way to a degree. Sometimes I'm never, sh I don't have perfect pitch and my brother does. So that's Good why door. I was, uh, yeah, I, that's why I've always been trying to like get it together <laughs> to keep up. <laughs> it was that two minutes, man. I had two minutes to develop. Perfect pitch. That's what it was. Cool, man. Um, yeah. Kingmaker, man. It's, this is your leader debut, correct? Yeah on blue note records which is awesome it's like lebron level stuff it's like going straight to the league straight to the <laughs> walk me through this process man of what it was like to get signed to you know arguably one of the biggest labels in jazz well back when i was uh i think it was my f second no it was my first year of brubeck when i was in california okay. um i have a friend also on blue note pianist james francis We've been we've been boys since high school. Uh, he was out. He was out. We were at the Next Gen Festival in in Monterey. I was there with Brubeck, and he was there with New School. Um, okay. And he was he was trying to convince me to come to New School after after Brubeck and everything. I, I was already going to do that, but uh, he when he was out there, he met with Don Waz. They had already knew each other. Um, I think because he's from James is from Houston, so he has a connection with Robert Glasper and a bunch of the other Houston musicians. And so right. I think somehow, some way, something James was working on with Rob. They he met Don, so they knew each other. They met, and I think that was around when James signed the Blue Note. So he signed. Uh, what was that already? Like five years ago. Yeah, it's been a little while. And so that's when that's kind of where I met Don a little bit, but just from from James signing. Once I moved to New York, I was playing with him. I got in. That puts me, you know, kind of, I guess, in the Blue Note Spotlight just from sheer connection with him. So we were playing and stuff. And eventually, I guess Don just heard about me from word of mouth and, and such. And I had met him once or twice. And then I recorded, I recorded Kingmaker December 2016 um, okay, out wow. of pocket. And I just, I had, I had the recording. And eventually, Don, Don, we got in touch. He said he wanted to meet, and he he asked me about joining the Blue Note family, and I said I have this record ready to go, <laughs> and so from there we we dropped this one. Excellent, man. Excellent, man. Um, you know, a lot of people talk these days about kind of like the jazz resurgence. Mm -hmm. um, you're seeing just like a lot of young cats coming out and doing some very, very interesting things. You yeah. have been a part of that scene and, and have collaborated with some of those figures for a while. I'm thinking like your fellow Chicagoans like Marquise Hill, Makai mm -hmm. uh, McRaven. Um, what is it about that Chicago scene? We were discussing this a little bit earlier. Um, you know, that kind of fosters this kind of musical adventurism this willingness to you know blend mm. genre smash borders do you think it has to do with the scene or i do okay. um uh 
But the thing is weird because I was coming up. I'm a few years younger than them. Right. Um, so they got the last of like Von Freeman and Fred Anderson and when they were teaching and playing at the Velvet Lounge and they had sessions and stuff. Uh, Steve Coleman would tell me a lot about a lot, a lot about that, too. I missed that. Like I was still coming up and I, I was Von uh, or Fred died when I was still in high school. So I never got a chance to go to the club and meet them and and my i guess when i was coming up that was a, like jazz education was in full in, in full steam <laughs> full steam That's ahead what you mean like, in, like at co- institutional like at mm-hmm. i was right more now. i had more like i was working with my high school and right. stuff and we did we were working with the monk institute marquise and those cats they had they had like old heads teaching them right. straight from the source. And that was that difference. And I didn't get any of that Chicago teaching mm. uh, because I, I moved right out, of, right out of high school. So I never actually got deep into the Chicago scene. So I'm learning everything about the Chicago music now coming back to the city, playing with them uh-huh. and, and coming back and, and playing with other people learning about the AACM, how deep that is to everything. That's yes. what I think that a really heavy part of of how open they, Chicago seems to be to do anything. Like you'll go somewhere here, here, cats just tipping, yep. and then <laughs> go across the street, and it'll be the complete opposite. <laughs> yep, totally, man. Straight ahead scene, a blues scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I loved about Chicago too, man. Um, so yeah, you, you grew up there. Um, you know, is your your family still there? Yep, family still there. Very nice, and I understand. I mean, this album is really um, kind of like an homage to family, right? Mm-hmm. You're obviously very close with your family. The album's title, even Kingmaker, that's in honor of your mother, right? Yep, very indeed. Nice. Very nice. You, you wrote some of the tracks. That title track is about her. You've also got tunes about your twin brother and nieces and. Mm-hmm. friends from high school and it's it, it ended up being a very reflective record <laughs> when i was writing it at brubeck so let's go ahead and listen to what is perhaps the most reflective track on the album this is the title track kingmaker Let's talk about Yana, man, because the video for Yana just dropped. We're talking on Tuesday the 21st. It dropped yesterday. Yeah. Um, it's an awesome video, by the way. I really Thank you. encourage listeners to check it out. Um, two things like caught me right off the bat. Uh, number one is that you're in it. You started. <laughs> you don't see that. When oh, that caught musician, me off guard, too. <laughs> when a jazz musician makes a video, a lot of times they're not in it. And it's, it's not like in the studio. It's not you playing. It's like, it's a very artistic video. Um, you're in it. The other thing I want to ask, I mean, it's beautifully shot. Was that real film? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I can't remember. I don't 
It I don't, really I don't, I don't quote me. Yeah. <laughs> it really had that look. Um, it reminded me a lot of like late French new wave stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. very, very cool. How Thank did you. that video come together? Uh, well, Blue Note, they came, they were like, we want to do a video and okay. we want to do it for Yana. And I was like, how? Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, 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 it's, it, it is inspired by a true story. It was a friend I met, a girl I had a crush on uh, okay. back at Brubeck, but we were just, you know, we were just friends. I found out she, she was at school for one thing, but she had a passion for fashion and shoe designing. And I think it stemmed from like just conversations, me trying to convince her to go do that because I am an artist who want to see other people pursue their art. Right. So that's the, that's the crux of it. And then from there, but I didn't know how that was going to come across in a video. So, uh, they just, they had the idea of doing a video. I picked a director and then from there, I didn't know I was going to be in it. So <laughs> once I got there, <laughs> we was just trying to figure out how to convey communication like that mm-hmm. and try to convey that story. And since I had never really done a video like that, I, I, I had to trust the director a lot. Um, so it was very, it was a new experience for me and I'm, I'm glad I got to do it. Yeah, it was beautifully shot. It came out really well. Like I say, I encourage everyone to check it out. There's exactly what you're talking about, like this tension of miscommunications um, between you uh, and this woman in the video. So yeah, I watched it like several times yesterday. It was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Let's, while we're at it, actually listen to a bit of the audio. This is the track, Yana. There's another tune I wanted to discuss, um, just another strikingly beautiful tune, which was uh, uh, Frida's Disposition. Ah, uh, yeah. And so it's uh, it's sung by the vocalist Gretchen Parlato. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wrote this tune. Did you write the lyrics as well? No, a friend of mine, okay. Bianca Muniz, a great singer and songwriter, uh, she wrote it when we were, I was, in, I was at uh, the New School. with. We were in an ensemble with her, James Francis and uh, Jeremy Dutton. Wow! And uh, we, I brought the tune in. We played it, and I think Kendrick Scott, Blue Note artist, <laughs> Kendrick Kendrick was uh, subbing for our instructor, who was Matt Wilson. Um, Great drummer, yeah. And uh, he was he had suggested like adding that solo part where I soloed in the C minor to give it the change and in mood and such. And then Bianca wrote lyrics for it. I just told her it was for my niece. Mm. My, my niece can sometimes be a little introverted and reserved sometimes. I just wanted to, to, to give her like a, I don't know, it ended up being a lullaby, I think. And totally, I think, man. Yeah. It's this beautiful reassurance, right? To this young mm-hmm. girl that she's not going to be alone. Um, mm-hmm. and that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, Really, really touching stuff. Okay, so that that totally makes sense. Frida is your niece? Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's listen to a bit. This is Frida's Disposition. Don't worry, dear. 
Um, yeah, I mean, while we're while we're on the subject of talking about tracks, um, the other one that's just like an absolute, you know, ear catcher is is it love that inspires you? Um, <laughs> specifically, it's just you know, it's so intimate. It's you and the bass and the drums. Um, and so the focus is really on your tone, right? Which is, yeah, it's a gorgeous tone. It's like a bell, but it's, it's smooth and it's velvety. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of musicians and all the greats are so, so focused on their tone. Um, yes. In your own practice, how much attention do you give to your tone in developing your tone? Well, that's, that was one thing. It, a lot of it came from technique and that was one tremendous that's probably the biggest thing Stefan helped me get together was just the technique to produce a good tone gotcha. um but a lot of it goes into the mallets I use which okay. is funny considering I use probably the most generic mallet that any vibraphonist can get it's just I guess now it's just the rhythm my rhythmic thing really really decides my tone I guess gotcha gotcha so let us hear for ourselves now this is the track, Is It Love That Inspires You? Yeah, because with vibraphone, you know, and you illustrate this uh, across the album. It is at once very much a percussive instrument, but it's also harmonic and melodic, right? So you can, you know, you can just like vibe out, you know, on yeah. the riff, uh, which you do, like on the opening track, Touch by an Angel. It's got that four note vamp um, where you just literally it clicks in like a hip hop track. Um, but like in a second, you can snap into comping or obviously, you know, taking over the harmony or, or mm. something like that. Um, was that something that appealed to you early on? Like as you decided to pick up the vibes? Uh, the, the fact that it was rhythmic uh, and like, you know, the fact that it was percussive. Right. Definitely helped garner the keep the interest in it um, but i mean at some point i don't know it was i don't know i can't say that i ever accepted that i, I love the vibraphone but it was like <laughs> well how am i going to play with my brother he's playing drums i got to play something right, right. <laughs> and and that was what it was and that it the vibraphone is definitely the easiest vehicle for me to to uh to play and it's to express um gotcha. But you still consider it like a very like an I gotta play something kind of instrument. Uh, I mean, it's not, like I love the piano. The piano okay, is probably yeah. my favorite. Wow! And that's what I that's where I write and that's where I practice. Okay. Um, and then I I've been trying to practice drums for the past year now. So it's like the vibraphone to me is a mix of those two. It's a mix of totally. the drum and the piano. So totally. I practice those two separately and bring it back to the instrument. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you can hear that in your compositions uh because like i say it gives equal weight i think to the percussive aspects of the instrument and uh harmonic and melodic so very mm -hmm. cool man 
So let's listen to a little bit of the track I was talking about earlier, Touched by an Angel. Listen for how Joel's vibraphone starts with this repetitive four-note vamp, kind of like a R&B track, then dissolves into this liquidy pool of harmony before snapping right back into the vamp. It's really cool. When you're not playing vibes, what do you like to do? I'm just gonna guess, like, <laughs> like watching classic film, like movie making and stuff, because the video was so good. Oh, I love, I love, yeah, I love movies. I love, uh, I watch a lot of anime. I'm a kind of a nerd, okay. no, <laughs> uh, I but that. I like, I like anything with a good story, with a beautiful story. I'm a sap. Uh, I like love, <laughs> obviously. I got you, man. I got you. Yeah, you could see it in the video. One of my favorite cats right now is Patrick Bartley, the saxophone. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. He's doing that J music stuff, who's turning like the anime themes. Um, oh, he's going to revolutionize, I'm sure. He, he, but he's been bad. I've known him since high school. <laughs> yeah, me too, only because he's from down here. He's from, um, we're based in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, so, yeah, we got to watch Patrick Bartley kind of come up and do his thing. Yeah. He's been an inspiration. <laughs> oh, very cool, man. Very cool. Well, Joel, man, what is next for you? What do you got coming up? Um, obviously, I know you're going to be probably touring behind Kingmaker, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Tomorrow, I have a commission uh, at this venue in Brooklyn, Roulette, with my large ensemble, Parables, and a quartet I have. Um, and then we start touring the record this Saturday, uh, first at a, uh, Atlanta Jazz Fest, and then playing in D.C. next week. Very nice. Any overseas gigs? Yeah, we're going to London. We start July 10th through the 21st, I believe. We're hitting London. We're playing North Sea, Umbria, Canary Islands, and uh, I think one more place in Spain. Nice. So you just throw those vibes in the overhead bin and you're all good, right? <laughs> oh, no. I'm hoping they'll have them once I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Right on. And then in terms of, I know it's really early to start thinking about next albums, but... Uh, oh, no, I got the next right four on, or five man. already. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. So we can expect those uh, soon enough. But like I say, I encourage everyone to vibe with Kingmaker for a while and definitely to go check out that video for Yana. All right, Joel, I appreciate that, man. Um, it's my pleasure. Have fun on, like I say, it was truly, truly a beautiful album. I've been spinning it all week. I tell all my friends to go spin it. Um, enjoy the tour and uh, hope to hear more from you soon, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Joel. Have a good one. All right. Take care. Yep. You too. Bye. And that does it for another episode of Jazz's Backstage Pass. I sincerely hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joel Ross. 
I'd also like to take a minute to thank some of this episode's sponsors. They include the DC Jazz Festival, which is set to take place June 7th through 16th in Washington, DC. This year marks the festival's 15th anniversary, and they'll be celebrating with more than 100 artists performing on 40 stages in venues across the city. Headliners include John Batiste, Snarky Puppy, Cecile McLaurin Salvant, and many others. More info is at dcjazzfest.org. Another thank you to the 2019 Norfolk Waterfront Jazz Festival in downtown Norfolk Waterfront, Virginia, celebrating its 37th year. The fest is set for August 23rd and 24th. That's the perfect time to chill to the legendary sounds of top national smooth jazz and R&B recording artists. To check out the artist lineup, head on over to our website and click that Norfolk Waterfront Jazz Fest banner. Thanks also to the DuPont Clifford Brown Jazz Festival, brought to you by the city of Wilmington, Delaware. That festival is taking place June 19th through 22nd and honors its namesake, the trumpet legend Clifford Brown, with a lineup that features Terrence Blanchard, Branford Marsalis, Kendrick Scott, and a whole lot more. For more information, visit CliffordBrownJazzFest.org. We'd also like to thank Chesky Records, the premier audiophile record label, whose goal is to create the illusion of live musicians in a real three-dimensional space. They've got a new release out by bassist and vocalist Casey Abrams. High Res Audio is available on HD Tracks, and you can also pick it up on Amazon or iTunes. Another big thanks to Blue Note Records. They've got a new album by Nora Jones out right now called Begin Again. And in June, they'll be releasing a new album by Jamie Cullum called Taller. Check them out at bluenote.com. And thank you to Smoke Sessions Records, whose most recent album is Songs Were Made to Sing by vocalist Mary Stallings. Go to smokesessionsrecords.com to browse all of their recent releases. Thanks also to Deezer, an online streaming service that offers more than 53 million tracks and over 100 million playlists. To check out the playlist that we curate on Deezer, head on over to Deezer.com and search for Jazz Is. And thank you to the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark. On August 9th is a performance by R&B stars Anthony Hamilton and Jasmine Sullivan. For tickets and more info, visit njpack.org. Another thanks to the Adrian Arch Center for the Performing Arts here in Miami, Florida. On June 15th, they'll be hosting the Beach Tone Jazz Festival, featuring Grammy Award-winning bossa nova star Elian Elias, guitar legend Yamandu Costa, and legendary percussionist Sammy Figueroa. For more info, visit arshtcenter.org. Lastly, we'd like to shout out the Navy Band Commodore's 50th Anniversary Celebration Concert, taking place September 22nd at 3 p.m. at the Rachel M. Schlesinger Concert Hall and Arts Center in Alexandria, Virginia. If you're in the area, stop by and check it out. All right, everyone, that's it for me. We'll see you next time with another episode of Jazz's Backstage Pass.